Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs, that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Everything Belongs. I am super pumped. I just got back from a vacation in Colorado where I went on a rider's retreat. I both rode horses and wrote almost every single day that I was gone, was off social media for two weeks, and it was so good for me. So, so good for me. And so I'm jumping back in to this episode feeling very refreshed and excited to share with you a couple things that are upcoming. So before I share with you the episode with Jennifer, Jennifer Mullen, uh, I would love to walk you through some updates, some new things that are happening around here. The first being the Vision Cast Workshop. It's back. So Serve It Up, my business mastermind, will be opening at the end of September for a new semester of class where I teach people how to operate service-based businesses with abundance, with streamlined systems, with impeccable service. And and because of the time of my recording this, we're actually over half full. We only have six seats left in this program. I want to make sure that if you are interested in learning from me about business specifically, if you are a service-based entrepreneur, that you have the opportunity to do so. So Vision Cast is a donation-based class. It's one hour long and it's hosted on Wednesday, September 14th from 11 a.m. Central to 12 p.m. Central. And this means that you can get the recording if you register and it's specifically for heart led entrepreneurs. So if you have a business or are starting a business, this is a really good opportunity for you to drop in, clarify your values. And I love, love, love that this is at back to school time. Personally, as a Virgo myself, the workshop will be held during Virgo season. I love back to school energy so much. And so this is an opportunity to really lean into quarter three and quarter four of the year, having some really clear vision for how you want that to go. Hopefully some very practical steps. And what I love about this is I'm making it somewhat witchy. So I'm going to be covering how to alchemize the three business archetypal shadows, which I consider the service heart, 
which looks like overgiving, lack of boundaries, self-extraction and rescuing the shadow of the visionary. And you might resonate with this if you have too many ideas and perfectionism and no systems. And then also the shadow of the artist, which is fear of projections, fear of what other people think, fear of not being understood. Then we will identify where specifically your business needs support and systems versus where you might need skill and capacity as a CEO. And I will help you make a plan for immediate action around that. And then we'll talk about living into sovereign leadership and a simple practice at the end to orient to the entity of your business or the soul of your business and attuned to what your business wants to create, to say, and to be in the world. So my aim with this workshop is you leave feeling like you have very practical skills and tools, a pathway forward for what you need, what kind of support you need, and then actually can see that through. To register for this event, go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash vision cast. And again, this is perfect for people who are visionaries, healers, therapists, witches, coaches, consultants, educators, any service-based entrepreneurs. We have had people who are coaches and therapists and chiropractors and Airbnb hosts and people who create and curate beautiful event spaces for people. And so many more participate and serve it up and in this workshop and love it. So if you are someone who's wondering, is this for me? I have a business. Come see how you like it. It's a free and donation-based event, and I would absolutely love to serve you. Now for my second announcement. I am going on a podcast break. Next week, we will be sharing our 100th episode, and it's going to be a complete episode of Q&A specifically from the audience. So if you sent in a question, I'm going to be answering most of them. I did get quite a bit. I can't fit all into one episode. So I'll do my best to cover as many as I can in as short of amount of time as I can. And then we are going on a podcast break and probably until the new year, because I have some really fun projects behind the scenes and some plans for the podcast that I want to devote all my time and energy to. And so given that we've been doing this podcast for over two years now, and that this is my eighth year business anniversary this week, it felt like a really good time to pull back and to make sure that everything we're producing is the highest quality and also that I'm working on this really fun secret project that you'll hear about in a couple months that I want to give all my time and energy to. So I hope that you enjoy some spaciousness. You can circle back and listen to some older episodes and that we'll leave off with a bang with the hundredth episode. And we'll be back hopefully very, very soon with some new episodes, with some new guests, some beautiful micro doses. We're not leaving forever. I'm not leaving forever. I just wanted to make sure to devote the time I really want to this upcoming project and to make sure I'm getting ahead of all of the guests that I'm having on the show. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Dr. Jennifer Mullen. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to Dr. Jennifer Mullen. This conversation is so charged and fun. I was really taken aback by Jennifer's beautiful and big energy and how we wove through so many different topics with so much passion and fun. So Jennifer Mullen was nicknamed the rage doctor by peers and clients. She is a trained clinical psychologist, a published author, and currently serves communities as a consultant for behavioral and mental health organizations and schools. She does ancestral wound work and is the CEO and founder of Decolonizing Therapy, LLC. Dr. Mullen seeks to unpack the oppressive legacy of modern mental health practices 
and reconnect both practitioners and clients to the roots of their wounding and healing with a sociopolitical lens, most particularly for queer, indigenous, black, brown people of color. This conversation was so rich. We talk about her nickname, The Rage Doctor. We go into decolonizing therapy and her personal history that led her to that work what decolonizing therapy means and how it's different than regular therapy. We talk about colonization and how it permeates our emotional, mental, and physical health and how so often in the therapeutic world and in the coaching world, that lens is left out, but is absolutely essential. We talk about the importance of grief and rage and how healthy it is, why rage is globally required and is required for healing in these times as a health practice instead of a harm practice. So using our anger and our rage as a health practice, not a harm practice. We talk about connecting to the earth, decolonizing our mental health, and what that looks like for those of us who are practitioners and support people. I just, goodness, I adored this episode with Jennifer and would love to hear your thoughts on it. So if you get done listening to this and had an insight, please do share it in a review on iTunes or let me know on social media by tagging me and Dr. Jennifer Mullen at decolonizing therapy on Instagram. Well, without further ado, let's dive into the show. Dr. Jennifer Mullen, thank you so much for coming on Everything Belongs. We've already had so much fun just pre-podcast. We haven't even talked about all the things we're going to talk about. I'm already having such a good time. So just briefly, if you were to meet a stranger on the street and they were to say, what do you do? How would you describe your work? Well, thank you for having me, number one. Number two, I feel like I deal with this constantly and I still don't know how to answer that question. However, I will try. What I do is bring people back home to themselves with a capital H, I think. Um, And I love that so many of us are doing that in our own ways, in our own necks of the world. Um, I land, I am a weaver, right? I think I'm a paradigm crusher. And I'm not saying this with some egocentricity here. I'm just saying sort of landing at these intersections between what is psychological and healthy for the emotional self, as well as what is like ancestral and spiritual, like that return home, that re-remembering or that relearning, as well as the political meaning, not so much who's Democrat, who's Republican. I don't really give a shit, (laughs) right? We're, We're talking much more about like how these everyday instances that may have historically been taken for granted, are indeed super political and then have uh, an effect on someone's well-being and how they walk in the world every day. So yeah, I am a, I'm a weaver and I create spaces, educational spaces, talks, retreats for people to sort of come back home to themselves, learn a little bit more about themselves and their history and to look at how systems and structures may be affecting them and or the people that they're serving in some mm. way. So good. And for those who, they probably heard this in the bio, because I'm going to record the bio after this, but the work you do on Instagram is under decolonizing therapy. And something I love about your work is you talk a lot about rage and you've been nicknamed the rage doctor. And you've previously described yourself in some of your writing as Pollyanna and that you have gone from this like Pollyanna, more like proper prim kind of view to now being the rage doctor. And that seems in some contrast. And so I'm curious, could you, can you guide us through the journey professionally and personally 
Yeah. Ooh, getting yeah. That. yeah. Thank you for that question. That's a lovely inquiry. Um, so I'm going to try to put this in a, <laughs> I'm going to try to put this in a neat box. Um, cause I've been sitting with this and talking about this and allow me to say, you know, I am the daughter of a like ancestral rager, you know, my, my dad, um, probably shout out to him. We have such a much better relationship now and probably listen to the podcast. Um, my dad is super duper, which just, it's a lot of intensity, a lot of rage, a lot of abuse, right? Um, and, and the same had happened to him. And so where you have someone who's like six, nine, three something, taking the air out of the room um, and scary, you know, and here I was a very precocious, in your face, like, why this? Why that? Why do I have to put away the plates? Why can't you help clean? Why, 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 right? Like, just like, before I even understood what feminism and like social justice was, I probably was like the childhood embodiment of it. And I think my ancestors wanted it that way, probably. And my mom is this energy of like, sweet angel on earth, right? <laughs> With a lot of um, tendency to overgive. And that is very ancestrally aligned with the caretaking and taking care of everyone. And so to be honest with you, I always, and I think a lot of us feel this way, always felt this like very two, very big, very sacred, now it's sacred, part of me. One being sort of want to annihilate anything that's not fair, you know, just really, and not just so for me, but for like probably someone being bullied or someone not getting access to what they need in order to like, send their kid to school, like basic ass needs. That stuff just ramps me up and always has. And then the other part is just like constantly wanting to tend and mend and heal and bring whatever small gifts I have into this world to do that. And so over the years, you know, adolescence, acting out what was happening in my home, unconsciously fighting, trying not to fight, but that like always at these two dichotomies and like straight A student, not because I was trying hard because I just like genuinely like good at writing and like genuinely love talk a lot. Ha 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 ha. You know, genuinely like I had lots of ideas and lots of stories, you know? Um, and so this sort of followed me throughout my life. And I think like maybe many of us, I'd like to believe that are showing up in the world in different ways or maybe bigger ways. Never really felt like I fit. And I was always constantly being asked, like, where do you fit? Who, how do you identify? Like, my dad's Irish and Italian, Mullen. You know, my mom is Black Panamanian and Indigenous Panamanian. We're of, like, Mayan and Kuna descent. So it's like, talk about a mix of it all. And I felt like all of those ancestries, um, all of my spirit team, <laughs> it was always very loud as a child. Um, all of that shows up and who I am. And of course it would take 40 somewhat odd years to figure that out. And so as a professional, I think it was obvious to get into like psychology or social work. And I started out in teaching and I was asking the kids like, did you eat today though? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> and then I joined um, in college and I, I didn't think I was going to go to college. And my mom's like, you're, you're going to college. Otherwise you're not living here kind of energy. Um, I stumbled upon a peer education group that changed my flipping life. Um, it shifted me because we were, we didn't know it as inner city kids. We didn't know we were in this group where we, there was so much commonality. 
you know, I was in group therapy not knowing. I was in group therapy once a week at like 18 years old. So like partying and smoking and acting out in the city and like fake IDs, you know, like all of that. And then like coming to school and like sitting in circle and holding space for people that have been harmed and speaking about my own harm. And that did something to me, you know, it changed me and it broke me open in a really beautiful way. And throughout that process, some way, shape or form, um, I would meet the right quote unquote teachers. You know, teachers are big and small <laughs> of all, not purposeful teachers always that would see something in me or would teach me about grounding or would teach me about how to meditate. I remember really quick story, like on, my, on the way to some party that we probably should not have been to, um, something turned us around and I think it was spirit because it ended up being a real tragedy at that party that we didn't go to. And I met someone in like a research class and I was sitting there taking this test, like hitting my head, like, why am I doing this again? And I had a crystal in my hand, kind of like I do now, <laughs> I always do, right? And I guess I let it fall on the desk and then I hear, pss, pss, and I'm like, oh my gosh, good girl me, like, I don't want to cheat. And I look down and she's holding like a similar crystal and she shows it to me. And then we talked after class and ended, anyway, we ended up going to like her shaman circles up on the Upper West Side or something on Park Avenue in New York with all these like super rich older people. <laughs> Here we are and like go out clothes at like 21, like meditating and connecting with goddess Isis and like my roots, you know? And so, so somehow this um, healer, I don't know, I'm not per se calling myself a healer, but this energy to like want to bring forth goodness and healing and mending and tethering was always there with this like warrior energy. And I think that that's the place that rage has in my life. And the last thing I will mention, cause there's so many places, but one of the last things I'll mention professionally slash personally is, um, so I lived in California for grads for my doctoral program. And the very act of being in a state or not the whole state, but Northern Cali that allowed me and asked me to be rather than do, 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 especially in the program I was in, it was like super like Buddhist and spiritual and felt sense and like silent primal scream trauma therapy, you know, like pre-birth therapy kind of trauma work, um, astrology, you know, hot tubs with our professors kind of thing in the Oakland Hills. Like I was like, this is out of my comfort zone. Like these people are different than me, <laughs> but it helped this like very uptight, abrupt, angry, know-it-all New Yorker, New Jersey New Yorker to, you know, settle into my ego. And I came upon the work of one of my favorite teachers, Ruth King. I highly recommend her book, y'all, for those interested in rage work, um, Healing Rage, Women Making Inner Peace Possible. I just also want to say that I believe it is for all individuals, bodies, identities, um, not just women and femme. Um, and I can get into that a little bit later as I wrap this piece up, but I want to say that I attended her retreat. I couldn't afford it, you know, as a grad student and also first generation college student, doctoral student. My parents, we were like, I was at or below the poverty level, like pretty much my whole life. Um, and she let me work some things off and let me be a part of it. And that retreat was another breaking open. You know, it was just like another layer of understanding how my rage shows up in the world and how it 
Rage is, I believe, and I think she believes, is the love child of trauma and shame, Ruth would say. And I would dare say, um, and I think she would support this, <laughs> it is the love child of ancestral trauma and shame. Um, and I would also dare add, and grief, right? I don't think that we have rage without grief. You just broke up in so many things. And I want to first just start by saying, like, I love the context of all the different places you've been in many different identities and lineages that you hold, because one, you're just so interesting. I'm like, okay, you're a very interesting person, but also you bring, um, you bring so many perspectives to what, you know, decolonizing work is or what therapy is or what being a spiritual person is. There's, uh, you know, it kind of feels like you can't peg you into a little hole of like, oh, well, you, you're a therapist or, oh, you do decolonizing work or, oh, this is social justice work or, oh, you're spiritual. Because there's always the side note of seeing it from every different facet mm -hmm. that it feels like you've really explored. And this is just something that I'm I think that, that I'm perceiving it might not be accurate, but it seems like you're very surrendered to life and the journey, like really in surrender in your relationship with God and with your, your journey that you're allowing things to come in and responding in this really beautiful way. So I just, that story was so beautiful to hear how each, like I, I resonate with those little nuggets of gold, like not planning any of it out, but letting spirit like bring things into you. Yes. I am curious. Do you know your Enneagram? Shoot. You know, you're the fourth person this month to ask me this. So Jen has to get it together. <laughs> Every time I take the Enneagram, and granted, I haven't paid for the Enneagram or like had a session. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah, and that's heard, really normal. normal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's really normal. It, so I'm like, this is like my side passion project. I, I have, my teachers are steep in the Enneagram tradition. You only ever have one Enneagram. It doesn't change, but the tests are faulty because self-deception and because it's more about motivation than it is about behavior. Mm. And so really getting to the, why you're doing it. And so I would encourage like Beatrice Chestnut's book or my friend, Matt and Holly, my, not my friend, my teachers and friends, Matt and Holly Kreps, they have an Enneagram course called the wisdom Enneagram. I, I helped produce it. So I was like there during the recording and it's so good. And I was mistyped two times before finding my actual, I thought it was a seven. I thought I was a three. Neither of those are correct, but now understanding more about it, I know why I mistyped mm -hmm. and they would say it's more of a contemplation because you are, uh, the number is actually your ego structure. Mm, I love that. If you're like, if you're just going through life and you're not thinking about it, your ego is helpful. And that's, that's, that's kind of like the path you're going to take and getting back to essence is understanding, you know, what fixation your ego just gets hooked up and, and messed up in. Yes, Madison. I love that. I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, now I want to take it. Yeah. yeah. I think I was originally, like I saw, uh, I think it was four, and then I think it was like a five and then a seven, eight. And I'm like, what is going on? But then other times I've taken it and it was like four and then two and one were highlighted. So honestly, that's yeah. why I gave up because I was just like, well, I know my human design. I know my astrological chart. I'm not like, I know my Myers-Briggs. <laughs> yes. For the sake of it, since we're on it, like what, what is your astrology yeah. and what is your human design? Yeah. Well, I'm a fix one generator. Um, so that would be role model slash hermit mm -hmm. um, for those that don't know. And so my very sacral response 
Um, often it makes sense that for those of us that do any kind of ancestral work or past life work, um, that I think that there's a lot of correlation with like the sacral and human design and our relationship to it and past traumas. So yeah, interesting. um, definitely people say like right now I'm in my element, but perhaps if this was two weeks ago, I would have feel a lot more subdued and need that like hermity and hermit energy. Yeah. Sometimes, um, my ambivert energy comes up more, especially as I'm learning energetic boundaries and depends yeah. on who I'm around and how I'm being fed energetically or not. Um, I am a cancer son. We are in my season. season. <laughs> Happy almost birthday. Thank you. Yeah. So cancer son. Um, and I think that people on most days can feel that, mm-hmm. especially since it's in my 11th house and it's Ju- my Jupiter's exalted there. Oh, wow. Right. So it's boom. Right. Yeah. You know, and um, made for groups, all that, you know, like, like that kind of energy. But then my, I'm a cap moon and a Virgo rising as well as a Virgo North Node, my Venus and my Mars all in Virgo. All in Virgo. I have a Virgo Mars also. I'm Virgo sun. So I I was going to guess cancer for you. And I was also going to guess a generator. I'm a generator myself. And that like responding and surrender to life feels very generator to me. Like I recognize that. Uh, So thanks for the rundown. I just love knowing that shit about people. Pointing it out because I, I I didn't really think about that, how I just respond to life and how I let things land. So some, I'm sure you relate to this. Sometimes people ask, well, how did you land here? How did you do this? Or did you decide to go into this field? And it's like, I think it chose me. <laughs> yeah. I say I let life live me. And I, I don't know that that's like true for every, I, I want it to be true for everyone, but you know, everyone's unique. And especially we're learning about the different diversity inside brains, let alone the identities we present on the outside. And then we have our human design and all of the different systems. It's like, we're all so unique. So yeah. I know I let life live me and maybe you do too, <laughs> but maybe not everybody. So yeah. <laughs> So I want to circle back to rage and how that in like how we can bring that into the fold of the work you do around decolonization, because I, I want to get more into the topic of rage once you unpack what decolonization is and why it's so fucking important. Uh, yeah, sure. So some of the examples I like to give when I'm starting to talk about this and do the workshops, I have this series called Politicizing Your Practice, right? And although it's geared predominantly to like, I like to say healers, helpers, and space holders, uh, but practitioners, therapists, the reality is, to be to be quite honest with you, it, we have been colonized, and I'll explain more, in almost every facet of how we learn, how we walk in the world, how we see mental wellness, mental illness, how we do relationship. And I really honestly, as being trained as a psychoanalyst and going deep and look at family systems, I did family systems therapy, narrative therapy. The realization for me was, well, not everybody is dealing with the same level of access. Right. And so um, I know that there's this disagreement when I sometimes shout like the personal is political and people's like, no, it's not. If I go to the swimming hole, that's not political. And if I perhaps not for you, but perhaps 
for all the people that are not able to do that because the swimming hole doesn't have an accessible wheelchair space, because the swimming hole right, um, is too far from where their train station is, or perhaps they don't have money to get there. We could keep going on and on and on and on of the reasons why. And the thought isn't that we should all be so uncomfortable and uptight that every single second we're accounting for every single little thing around us and being high alert, nervous system on high. That's not, that's, it's a misconstrue, misconstruing <laughs> what the, what, what we're talking about here. And I'm starting out with that before I get into like what colonization or decolonization is, because I really do believe that in order to best understand this self or this body that we're walking in this lifetime in this place in this space in this time that it is super important to also notice the areas in which we have blind spots and the areas in which um we have access to things without having to try all that hard right like you and I before we were talking about school right I mentioned it and what have you and like I was just good at it even with as being like an ADHD kid and even with all this stuff going on at home and trauma for whatever reason, I could get into an English class and just right spelling fine, easy, right? But that doesn't mean it was for anyone. So if I, if I was like, oh, well, Jen did it. Why can't you? That is one of the most demoralizing things a person can say to another. And so um, as I continue to work with people for the last 20 years, um, in very deep, deep forms of trauma, right? I've worked with people that have harmed. I've worked with individuals, particularly children and families that have gone through disgusting levels of vicious harm globally, people that were migrants and what have you. What I realized is the kind of therapy and healing that they needed and were receiving was very different than someone paying two, three plus hundred an hour, bruh. <laughs> when we started for you know, a therapy that's out of pocket as opposed to managed care, Medicaid, Medicare, depending where you are in the world, right? Uh, and speaking of the U.S. And so I started paying attention and I was involved in a bit of activism and slowly I was sort of becoming a bit more conscious, right? Like my identity has already let me know when things were unfair or unsafe, when a microaggression was thrown or, you know, when someone's intent was different than the impact or vice versa. But it was different having language. And it was different than as I was doing this, my practices started becoming a little bit more rooted in my ancestry. And my spiritual team, I think it's safe to talk about this thing here, <laughs> um, continued to be louder, not so much in voice, but in other ways of what they needed from me or what they wanted or how they were going to hold me and usher me and birth me into these things. And it really brought me back to the roots. And when I say the roots, past parents or birth parents or any of these things, but I kept being shown visions um, and it looked like a placenta. And I know now that's pretty widespread, but this is back at a time where it's like, I might have my space. <laughs> I was like, put music up on my space. Um, it's like a placenta at the bottom of like the tree and it was like roots all the way down. And I would wake up crying, like missing a mother that, and I love my mama, right? So I was like, wait, who is this mother? Who is this mother? Right? And I started 
organizing with certain groups. They were teaching me a bit about that. Big word, you know, these imperialism and this and forced migration and so grateful because here I am then sitting every day with eight, nine people, students at the university doing these groups, now running that peer education group that I was telling you about, doing retreats at the beach, having them rage, having them look at pictures of their parents and scream and spit and claw and emote and realizing, oh, this isn't deep enough. Right? It's deep, it's deep. <laughs> but we're not deep enough. And then looking at where are we disconnected? You know, um, where's home for your people? What language do you feel most comfortable speaking? What tongue? Um, do you know it? Do you not know it? Do you feel shame around that? Like, where does that show up in your body, right? Then learning more about somatics, again, with the falling into things, right? And so I'm saying all this to say that in its most pure form, I believe, right? Decolonization is about giving the land back to whomever is indigenous to that land, whomever is native to that land. And I'd like to believe, and I've been told, and elders have passed this on, that we're also talking about stewardship, not just, just land owning, but also stewardship and meaning, you know, we have a different relationship with that land, right? Like that the indigenous natural people of a land naturally know how to be in communion with it, naturally may be able to communicate to the rest of us how to best care for things, to make the water better, the animals happier, right? All in tune, which is going to make us more vibrationally, right, in alignment with it all. And as we know, commodification and capitalization and Cap they made up words, sorry, capital <laughs> capitalism, like all of it is industrialization. It's all about taking natural resources and extracting. And while let's keep it real, I'm glad to have gas in my car. That's extractive, right? I'm part of it too. Like I'm not this separate, like putting myself on some weird egoic pedestal. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> right? Like, and we're aware that this is sort of how things work, not everywhere in the world, but in many places. But, and now that we're starting to know better, and now that we're understanding how the constant extraction is not just affecting parent earth, but it's also deeply affecting our balance, our mental health, our equilibrium. Don't get me started on the whole climate psychology. I'll be teaching some stuff around that next semester, next year. But um, this core wound, in my humble opinion, is both political and spiritual, right? Um, colonization is a spiritual and a physical wound in that um, bigger countries come on along and maybe they look at a country that might be rich in resources, but not rich in the pockets with that green green, right? And, and this has happened for eons, right? It isn't just the US or isn't just UK. It, this has happened in many different ways, shapes and forms to lots of different countries from Ireland right, to the States, to the Philippines, we could keep going. And these bigger countries usually come in with like a, hey, you know, let us help you out. Like, we're going to protect you, or we're going to this, or for in exchange for your coffee, we'll give you this. And it's usually some sort of like protection or muscle or money or something. And it's usually a bad deal, right? And there's lots of clauses. And I know I'm simplifying it considerably, <laughs> right? I don't want to put us all to sleep if I'm not already, but you know, there's all these clauses and footnotes and contracts, and there's a lot of backstabbing to put it honestly. And what happens in that process 
is that the people that once were able to live off and with and through the land and were able to do what they have always done um, now are literally themselves being extracted and resourced and colonized. And we still see that like in the Philippines where people are their number one export, going to various countries, being nurses or home health aides or so on and so forth. Um, we see that what is now known as quote unquote third world countries really have been and continue to be deeply colonized by what I like to call the bullies. And so you might be thinking like, okay, so what on earth does this have to do with like my emotional, mental, ancestral health? Well, I'm glad you asked. In 30 seconds, allow me to say, because <laughs> this, again, this is why I have a course, right? Because I also want us to embody this shit. This isn't just about like intellectualizing it because I could be just teaching at a university as a lot of us could and just blah, 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 blah. But I think it's important for us to know what I think is some of our root disconnects and root harms. And it's like, when did we or did our people be so deeply disconnected from what was natural, right? Whether it's weather, food, cycles of when I wake up, when do I tend to the farm or do I wake up in the middle of the night and until the sea, what, do, what did my people do? Right? What did they do? It doesn't mean I have to go do that. <laughs> and I'd probably be horrified. <laughs> Mosquitoes bite me up. But the reality is having some sense of that allows us, A, to not appropriate other people's shit and other culture shit all the time. It allows us to, when, when we can't quite, and again, the psychologist for the last whatever many years of my life, there's sometimes that that parent's core wound, it feels deeper than that. And, and, and sitting with students who, quote unquote, supposedly didn't have all this insight, and they did, I easily got to that all the time. Not because I wanted to, because it was front and center, right? Whether their home was being gentrified, right, by big buildings, or whether um, they were getting followed around, or their professor is like, oh, you're African-American vernacular, it's cute in person, but not when you write it. And, and I could really... I had a professor, my master's professor at NYU say, Jen, you're so articulate, your papers are great, but every once in a while, this boys in the hood comes out of you. And I remember like shrinking and I had no comment, no smart, witty, badass comment. I just, and I still remember it. My body still remembers it, right? And so I say this to say that, you know, colonization continues to happen. It's not in the past. Some places like Cayman Islands, there's a split feeling about being colonized or not or shifting that, right? Um, there's deferring opinions. And the reality is, the reality is there's a sense of us that is yearning for something deeper. And so sometimes learning about our ancestor stories, even if we don't know them directly or we don't know who our great, 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 great grandmother was, allows us to begin to get curious well, how did my people get this land? All right, I have this amazing trust fund. I do not, but some people do. Right? Like, where did that money come from? Right? Am I a descendant of this person? Am I not a descendant of this person? What did this person do? How did they get free? Did we have any revolutions? Like, believe it or not, I have found like nine times out of 10, that shows up in some way replicated in the person's life present day or their relationship choices. So I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but you know, I, I could keep going on because clearly I'm passionate 
about this. And hence, I will have a book coming about about this in a couple of months. But. <laughs> it's going to be so good. And I think, you know, the piece that I'm connecting, and I want to make sure I say is for those of us who are white, who are listening to this and thinking, oh, well, colonization, that that's third world, you know, people of color. Yes. And also, it's also white people. This has happened also in, on people from Europe, like learning about my own ancestry as an Irish person and as a Jewish person, my people were also colonized and the land was colonized. And also all of Europe has been colonized because pagan religions are no longer the most common religions in Europe. So for those of us who think, oh, this is a person of color issue, I just want to redirect that that's not the extent of, I think, what you're saying. I just wanted to reiterate that because when a lot of us, a lot of people who listen to this podcast came from Christianity and missions work, and there's a lot of thinking like, oh, we we go bring something or take something from where the people of color are. And perhaps we're only doing that because it's already been done to us. Yeah. So it, it's just something I wanted to bring forward in it. Mm-hmm. And also what you're talking about is how the intergenerational trauma of that lives in our bodies and lives in the land. And a piece that you clicked, like connected for me that I've been pondering on is that, you know, attachment wounds and attachment to mother and our biological parent who carried us. And like, if earth is our mother, then how has this severed the, the secure attachment to earth? And I don't know if you've been seeing this, but I've been seeing a lot of Gen Z feel very nihilistic. What's the point? And, uh, very high rates of suicide, which is very troubling. And I can't help but wonder how this complete disconnection from like the mother, like mother earth and disconnection from the land and a sense of stewardship of the land has to do with the disconnection from purpose and a reason for being here. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any like thoughts on that, because it's just been a pondering. And when you talked about the placenta and the tree, it felt really alive for me. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. That's number one. And I've been like diving deep side note into magic and the Irish Right. And how like the British coming in and colonization and Christianity being enforced and then the famine. I I don't know. I've just been digging into that. And I'm actually looking at my copy of When the Irish Became White. And that's one of my favorite books that one of my best friends, um, Irish best friend, sent along to me. So I just wanted to share that. Um, Yes, yes. And triple yes, Um, particularly to this disconnect. I do think, yeah, thank you for saying the Gen Z that didn't like peak to me before, but that's a great point. I know like a lot of the people that I've been working with over the years, students, what I would notice is they would come in saying, which is why I think therapists need to be prepared on a whole other level and need to continue. Like we have a responsibility because this isn't like our grandfather's therapy. <laughs> right? Like we're all over like older European, white, older men, uh, predominantly like Freud and Charcot and like even Beck and Adler. Like, no, like it's time that we all immerse ourselves like neck deep into what's currently happening on the ground because it shakes all of our grounds. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think that, um, a disconnect with the earth and mother earth is a big part of it. Although I can see so many beautiful benefits to like social media and having phones and being to connect easily. I do think that some of those generations that are dealing with a lot of existential angst 
And literally, sometimes they'll come to me with that. Even in coaching, like, I'm dealing with a lot of existential anxiety. And, and I'm, like, amazed. And I'm, like, I would have never said that at, like, <laughs> at that age. And they're very clear. And also very clear, like, what's the point? Because, you know, babies are getting killed. And this is happening overseas and so on and so forth. And so I do think... Um, and I know this is a very witchy view, and I'm very proud of this, <laughs> um, that A, like we're being asked, we're being told to remember so that we can do something the fuck about it, you know? Um, and I do think that generation is taxed in particular with the burden of sort of being at this, like, you know, like when the veil gets like really thin somewhere, like this, like right in between, like they're straddling two different energies and I can't imagine what it's like to straddle the energy of knowing in an embodied way. Like, I think a lot of us know this, but like, I'm part of the problem and I am the solution. And so how do I feel my feelings? <laughs> feel, do, heal. Like, how do I do that? And at the same time, take action. Because as we know, and I know your work also echoes this in so many ways, we do need space for those big emotions. We need space for the grief. We need space. Like you don't just like, okay, a lot of bad shit happened in the past. All right, y'all organize. Right. And, and, um, I do have friends and loved ones that do that. And I tried that way. Right. And I realized that I felt like I was running myself ragged, just a different way, almost like a self-righteous way. If that makes any sense. It makes so much sense. I've been there myself. And I, you know, I want to, I want to talk about how the colonization of the mental health industry as a whole, the DSM five, I know you've, you've spoken a lot about that and you mentioned grief and rage and how we've pathologized those things, which is in a way how we've colonized our emotions. And so a lot of the work you do is to help people feel those big feelings because feeling them is what nature does because that's what we do. And so can you just speak to the importance of grief and rage and what has happened in the mental health industry as it is a result of colonization? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, you know, essentially, it's, I'm like, you know, with, like whispering isn't going to help change the, the the heaviness of what you're feeling. Let me just say there is hope. No matter what I say now, <laughs> I always feel, I guess I can energetically, collectively feel like people's breaths because they understand it and I get the ringing. I get it. So let me just say um, the entire mental health field has been co-opted right? That doesn't mean it's not needed. That doesn't mean it's not important. That doesn't mean that whether things rise or fall, I don't think that mental emotional health is something that can be dropped completely while it's changing, right? So some people might say like, oh, you can't decolonize therapy. No, no, no. What we can do is be on the road to it. What we can do is pay attention to how systems are affecting people, how history and intergenerational trauma and historical trauma has affected people. And we can pay attention to how we engage with people we're serving, practicing with, healing, helping, and pay attention to whether we've been harming or not, consciously or not. And so most of current modern mental health, trust me, you know, writing book, three, four chapters, like like they synthesized it to like two chapters, but I'm like, I'm, this could be an encyclopedia literally of all the hundreds, maybe thousands of ways that current mental health, including psychiatry, social work, you know, psychology, counseling, all of it, 
has co-opted indigenous spiritualities across the world, right? When I say indigenous. And so not only is it really disconcerting, but it's such a form of gaslighting on such a deep fucking level. See, getting, I, get, I get very amped up on, because I love my field, I'm like, but I'm a critical lover of my fields, you know? And I've seen people get really harmed by believing it's just all good. It's all good. Like the altruism of I'm getting into this field to help. I'm getting into this field because it's a suitable quote unquote form of healing. And I know how to hold space, right? And then the burnout comes. And so the burnout is not one's fault, but that is what we're led to believe. Like, oh, just take care of yourself on the weekend. Have you tried acupuncture? Have you this? Oh, are you meditating, Jennifer? I can't tell you. I was doing all the things, quote unquote, right things. And I felt like Humpty Dumpty every Friday afternoon, putting myself back together again. And it would take all weekend to get past the energetic capitalism fatigue hangover of holding space for so much trauma. So our elders, our shamans, our medicine women, our curanderos, our santeros, like all of our sacred people that held space for eons and still do, I just want to say that, <laughs> right? We're not holding space for 70 clients, families, clients, purpose, right? I'm using that word, a month, right? They were not, and, and not in this weird, uh, you do what as I say, but they were not washing their own clothes while they're holding space for three or four people. They were getting fed and taken care of by the communities they were serving. They were often being housed, right? They would bring animal pelts so they can warm them or to do a certain ritual or ceremony. So in co-opting all of that indigenous healing, we have lost the humanity behind it. And so we're cash cows, meaning like mental health field people, especially if you're in within systems, and most of us are, <laughs> even if we're no longer working for the man, whatever that means, right? And a lot of therapists go into fee for service, right? Or turn into coaching. And again, I'm not shading. And for those of you doing it, I effing get it. And I did it like it was the only option, survive or literally watch myself continue to die. Um, I'm just pointing out like what happens, right? But so the beauty of that is, yeah, maybe we receive more an hour. And the beauty of that is maybe we get to decide whose trauma or who, who or what is coming in with what might be too much for us. But the not beauty of that and the place where, you know, white bodied supremacy that is in all of us starts to like rise right? And that extractive energy starts to rise is when we're like, yeah, 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 well, I'll use these slots to support, you know, people that can't afford me. But like, how are they finding us? You know, where are you advertising for those people? Are you really holding those slots? Because sometimes it's really when other people that are middle upper class can afford to pay for that. It's hard to switch it. Um, and are we stopping to ask, why are so many of our kids taking their lives? Are we stopping to look down and be like, hey, why are so many people burned out? And hey, why do these people get this kind of great therapy where they're talking about their nervous systems and polyvagal and DVT and like all of this great wraparound support? Why do they get your cell phone number or your Google voice number, but not everybody that is at this community center, 
right? Or, or everyone that is a migrant and that are speaking only one language, Nawa or something, and there's no one there to translate that. And like, what are we doing about that? And so it's a messed up dichotomy that continues to play out. It's also our realities. And also the reality is that trauma that is very uh, palpable and still occurring, as we often see in community centers and universities and things of that nature, are also really hard on our nervous systems, right? They take another level of taxing. And so to go back, you know, circle back to that original question, again, it's not that therapy in itself is just like disgusting. It's that knowing what we know now in this place, in this space, in this time in 2022, <laughs> right? Having the access, witnessing, um, you know, activation warning. What about to say witnessing a man cry and scream and ask for his mother for eight minutes, you know, on live feed or noticing that police officers are not going in to stop these babies from being shot up or literally witnessing our collective past and shadows and violence come up in, and I say this with such reverence, in the bones of all of these babies and children from residential schools, we cannot afford to just think that it's about the individual and their brain, <laughs> right? Like, like we would be remiss, and not that it's never helpful. Right? I don't believe in binaries ever, never, yes, good, bad. It can super be. And sometimes I needed to look at my all or nothing thinking. Sometimes I needed to look at how I magnify things. Yes. And like eight to nine ten times out of 10, it's so much deeper, right? And what people are feeling is not... It's not just a depression. And so the coloniza colonization itself and this whole process, these systems have taught us therapists, social workers to pathologize, right? And again, it's not your fault, but when we start to know better, what will we do differently, right? And so we've been taught that these set of symptoms means that someone is this. And these set of symptoms mean someone is this. So like Madison, I mean, it's sad to say it has affected my relationships and everything, but like, I, and I'll speak with I to help people understand that they're not alone. You know, like I was taught to hone in where's the deficit, where's it quote unquote bad, broken, disjointed, where is the pathology, identify it, what is the theory, intervention, right, that is going to best bring that person back together as quickly as possible? Do they need medication management? Usually they're pushing us towards that. <laughs> right? Like, it's, do they have to go to the hospital? And then that whole process is so violent. I won't even get into that. That's a whole other podcast, right? But, but that whole, whether 5150, depending where you live, or calling 911, we know that it's unsafe, but particularly for black and brown bodies, Calling 911 as someone is having a break with reality is not ideal, right? I've seen way too many situations where my students are pulled out of my office, even when I'm telling an officer, so they're agreeing to go. They understand that these hallucinations, these are not spiritual hallucinations. I always, always check for that. Like, this is something that's starting to be a bit more violent, starting to harm them, starting to harm their parent, blah, 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 blah. They're really gentle. Can you please? Take off your hat. You know, like, I've really reasoned with the officers. Humanize this. Yes, yes. Like, please, y'all. Like, here's how you can help me. I'm Dr. Jen. I would even, one of my colleagues, a very white presenting woman, would be next to me asking. You know, we would purposely 
sad how much work, right? Like we would purposely like having to stack the privilege to get them to take you seriously. Yes. Cause they're like, and this one guy was like, how old are you? You have a boyfriend? And I'm like, fucking having a, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> First you're making assumptions about my identity. That's number one. Number two, no. Anyway, anyway. But in the middle of someone's crisis, and I could tell you that's happened more times than I like to admit, right? And and then for all of that, when they need me to step aside because they ask them questions and I can't be involved, at least in the state of New Jersey, and the student's looking at me and I'm like, I got you, you know, I'm with you, I'm, I'm you know, I'm right here, I just need to step out. And the officer like grabs them, handcuffs, I'm like, and then I'm screaming because I, hence the rage, you know, and then my colleague's like, Jen, Jen, I'm like, don't, don't, don't you shush me, like, that's your white privilege. So I'm activated, my old stuff is activated, she's activated, she's trying, you get what I'm saying here. And so I'm purposely speaking in this way too because that's what it feels like. Right? That's what it feels like all the time, I think, being a conscious enough, because we're always evolving therapist, healer, wellness worker, that we're always trying to figure out what can we do to make it better. And one of the first things I like to say to people is, how well do you know yourself? You know, like, How well truly have you looked at each of these areas? And it's okay if you don't. It's okay to admit, mm, you know, this area is a little rusty or this area I have preferred not to dive into because it's too painful. And I already work in really painful ways with people. So I don't want to do that work. However, the co-opted field of psychotherapy in some way, shape or form and mental health has protected us, right? Has allowed us to continue to not look at ourselves and see ourselves as experts, has told us not to talk about ourselves in session, and I'm not saying we should sit there and cry and like have our own, but the most healing times I've had with some of my providers that are holding space for me is when they gently have said, you know, I'd like to share something with you. I can identify with, and I remember like, I'm not alone. Thank you for sharing or seeing a, a pride flag or a seeing, a, you know, like they teach us not to have these things in our offices, to be carte blanche. And maybe some people love that, wonderful. But I want to invite us to like rise up against this belief that we have to use pathologizing language, that we have to use border, that person's borderline. No, they're not. They might be living with symptoms or traits that are reflective in this current paradigm, <laughs> this mental health industrial complex of borderline personality disorder. But really what I he hear and see is somebody who has massive forms of trauma that are solidified into their personality, making it impossible for them to see themselves in A, B, C, D ways, depending on how their symptoms show up. And I don't even like to call it symptoms, and y'all can use this. <laughs> I like to call it expressions. I think that rage and grief are deep expressions of trauma, and not just any trauma, but I, rage, which is different than anger, I believe is a deep expression of historical and intergenerational trauma, meaning I'm not just feeling what I'm feeling because of this interaction right here. I can't even explain what I'm feeling because it feels so old. It's so deep, like marrow, you feel me? Like marrow deep. And it's so out of my range of words. Like there's no language, it's primordial. That's the word I want to use. And I believe that our human bodies can pick up on it, you know? And I think that it puts us in a frenzied, oh shit, what is this state? <laughs> and sometimes we don't even have a split second to stop it. Um, 
Yeah, I've said a lot. So I'm going to pause right there. <laughs> it's so good. And, you know, the things that are coming to my mind is I'm thinking of, you know, my grandmother who was diagnosed bipolar and would be up at four in the morning vacuuming the whole house in a manic episode in the 1950s and 60s and what they thought about women. And this is like perhaps mental illness just so happens to run in the family, you know, like in, interestingly enough, as does the same intergenerational traumas tend to run in the family. And speaking of my family, but if we look at the 1950s and sixties, we are seeing women with so many symptoms of the patriarchy and so many symptoms of fragmentation of, and then it was, what was offered to them was like, here's a handbook on how to be a good wife. And it feels like what you're saying is kind of like a similar thing of like, this is a band-aid. Sure. You can treat, uh, the woman can learn to be happy by lowering all of her standards and learning to be happy being a good housewife, but is she free? No. Yes. And that's really what I'm hearing you say in terms of, I mean, from gender to race, to body, to mental illness, and then to land is like, we're kind of pasting on this, like, here's how to be happy with what you have. And here's how to make do with these current systems, which again, I'm not against any form of relief. Mm -hmm to alleviate suffering. I think that's really powerful, but like you're saying, the relief doesn't deal with the reason the symptom or expression is there in the first place. Absolutely. Gosh. So I'm like, Oh, I'm aware of our time. And I'm like, Oh, there's so many more things I want to ask you, but in terms of this conversation and the things that you want to communicate about decolonization and grief and rage to this audience, is there anything you want to say to like, bring it all back together? Yeah. Um, and thank you. I agree with what you're saying. It like really resonates. Um, yes. I think that those of us that are if folks that are listening to your podcast, right. Probably walk upon this line of this knowing with a capital K and this feeling like things feel big and they feel deep. And I think that part of what is happening in this world with these like little fires everywhere and these big fires everywhere <laughs> is an invitation to get to the root of the healing. And I firmly believe that in like all professions and belief systems across the world, there is this sort of, and maybe it's not the right word, but like this reckoning, the reckoning, this sort of energy of we need to look at the past not to get stuck in it. I just want to keep saying that and put a billboard. Like, it isn't about, like, just like, oh, I'm just going to say stuck. Sometimes it does feel a little stucky, right? And sometimes that stuck energy is what your grandmother might have felt. You know, taking care of someone's son, someone's son, and, you know, <laughs> cooking and cleaning and thinking, like, oh, I'd love to be a dancer, and I want to be up there with Josephine Baker, or, like, you know? And so, as you said, so... I really do believe that honoring treaties that were broken for some of our people, um, how can we make a treaty with ourselves? Like what new things need to be rebuilt, remended, reborn, that you might say it's metaphorical, but I don't think it's metaphorical that, that very much need to be retethered back into ourselves. And I do believe that we do have the ability to heal some of what we experienced in the past. I do believe in ancestral veneration, if that's our, you know, cultural thing where we can help bring some freedom and peace to people that have passed on. 
But I don't think we do that by just like over intellectualizing the process, right? I believe that for some of us, we're afraid of our rage. Even when I say it, I could feel like I would imagine some people, woof, woof, woof. Yeah, some of us had caregivers that would come in and it was scary and they would rage out and maybe they were on substances or maybe they were just straight violent and sadistic, you know? Um, and then there's some of us that are very, very, very comfortable, but not comfortable with what feels like these expressions of depression, right? Um, because it feels slightly safer, but it doesn't, <laughs> right? And so I want to say that rage and deep, especially disenfranchised grief, that kind of grief that's like, you don't get sick days for, <laughs> the kind of grief that like, you know, if your pet passed, you're, you're one of your beloved familiars, like they'd want you to get back to work. But meanwhile, you're like, oh, no, no, no. I am broken right now and I need that space. So that level of grief globally is being required or is happening rather. And it doesn't mean that everybody is feeling it in droves, but I do believe like we're all taking turns, holding pieces of like Mother Earth's grieving process. Um, and this might sound far out or not, but <laughs> this, is, this is my experience. And so since decolonization is about the land as well, my role and what I'm offering here is that, well, it's not just a land issue. We have to have to shift our perspective. Of course, miracles, right? We have to also like shift this understanding that, oh, people are just going to give back pieces of land that they think that they're owed, right? <laughs> or give over their houses. There has to be, in my humble opinion, an emotional shift that goes along with all the physical giving and doing. You know, there has to be this emotional process that allows us to work on forgiving ourselves, forgiving our ancestors, um, and then deciding what feels an integrity and an alignment to do about it no matter your race, your identity, how you walk in the world. And so I would say that rage and the grief, I call it like this rage grief axis. It reminds me of like a hamster wheel. And wherever you find deep grief or these like depressive like expressions and symptoms, even if it's not visible, rage, like an alligator, won't be provoked, but it will be there, like right under. And wherever you see these deep expressions of rage. Like I remember even having family members say like, like after Trayvon Martin was murdered or Mike Brown, right? We got Philandro Castile, like all, you know, Sandra Bland, as we're seeing all these murders of people that look like you or people that you love, and you're realizing like, what? I don't, I don't understand why this happened. Like there's all these other things you could have done to stop this rather than shoot to kill. Like what's happening here? What I noticed, and I'd have family members say, is like, yeah, but why are they like looting? Why all this like anger and this rage? Like, just be calm. People will listen to you more if you're calm. And, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, do you want to hear what I think or do you not want to hear what I think? You know, I've learned to not always insert my opinion, especially with family, because it's just like, they're like, oh, Jen, she's always. But the reality is like, rage is the unexpressed deep grief of all of our ancestors like rage is not just like, oh shit someone cut me off f you in traffic rage is i'm out of my body i'm not even here it doesn't even matter if you hurt me harm me kill me maim me pepper spray me we need justice now like, like it all is like woof, right and so it is 
probably safer. I know this sounds probably safer to loot some garbage cans or something or some glass thing than harm myself the way that I want to pound my chest. It's safer for me to scream on the streets with thousands of other people that are feeling what I'm feeling at the top of my lungs, knowing I'm not alone in noticing how ludicrous what's happening is happening is than it is to harm another human being directly because I might want to, you know, you understand what I'm saying? So all of this to say that in order to live fully in these bodies, in my humble opinion, there are some things requested of us, you know, and it is being in a different relationship with the earth, whatever that means to you. If you like to tend to your garden, maybe you like to give tomatoes to people at work that you've grown yourself. Maybe that means you're hugging trees most days and people think you're the tree huggy person, weirdo. Um, all good, you know. Maybe that is um, reclaiming cultural identities. Maybe it's reclaiming a language, not appropriating it. Or I mean, you could learn a language that's not yours. That's cool. We just got to be really clear, right? And intentional. Um, maybe that means breathing into and looking into how whiteness has shifted and changed us no matter our race or identity. Like I tell my students when I was teaching counseling, multicultural counseling or group counseling all the time, like, how does whiteness show up in this space? And some of my students would be like, um, I'm South Asian and my client is, and I'm like, it doesn't matter how, how has Eurocentricity and what you've learned and how you learned it, how you should be as a therapist, how does that show up in this space? And then there's this, oh shit, oh, okay. We're not just talking about skin tone. We're talking about straight, ways of learning systems and that white people have also been harmed and dehumanized by Eurocentricity and the glorification of whiteness or Americanness or whatever you want to call it. And so I do think that rage and grief and these oscillations of rage and grief, of course there's joy and there's pleasure and there's all these other emotions. But since we're talking about these biggies and that's what I do, right? I think that they're like a purifying and a detoxing. I think that some of our ancestors, yes, um, tears are coming through us and their moans and their executions and their burnings and their hangings, like we're fucking feeling it. And I really think that we are more equipped than they were in a psychological realm. I know it doesn't sound like it, <laughs> but they were focused on survival, man. Like they were focused on getting from one place to another, sometimes leaving and fleeing countries, right? Like surviving in all the ways possible, that was their gifts to us. And other things, like other, you know, other beautiful things, but on big collective levels, that was their gift. Even down to like the civil rights eras and bringing in allyship and multicultural racial relationship. This shit wasn't happening years ago, right? Like queer partnerships, like identifying as who we are, whether it's non-binary or, you know, like that is beautiful, right? Allowing us to truly be who we are, reclaiming our traditions, right? Noticing how uh, South Asian or Japanese traditions are seen as beautiful or, or quote unquote exotic. And yet African or African-inspired center traditions are seen as a little quote-unquote dark or ooh, it's a little much or there's animal sacrifice or there's whatever, whatever. And um, those judgments are all ways that we can start to incorporate the decolonial process 
right, into our lives, into our relationships, looking at, okay, what is my investment in, quote unquote, my children going to college? Is it about me? Is it if your child's saying, I don't want to go to that institution, they're not going to teach me shit. Is there some point? <laughs> Do you know, is your, is your child a creative? I'm saying child because yeah. But, but again, um, I'm inviting us to look at the ways that we are willing to learn. We are willing to unlearn and we are willing to unlearn our relationship to rage in particular, because to me, that's the underbelly. And that's the place where a lot of us want to contract. And instead, um, I've, and I've said this in my rage retreats, every time you want to contract with that, with the rage, right? I want you to breathe and think about how the wind in a hurricane or a tornado whips through the ocean or whips through trees. Does it, you know, it's not apologize. Again, we're not saying to hurt anyone, but <laughs> right. Like that's a natural emotion. There's seasons. We have seasons. We have a range of emotion and we're entitled to that. And so in the same way, I just try to invite us to punch pillows. If you don't live in an apartment building and you're not a person who's darker skin, who could get arrested, like, again, we got to think of all of these things of your safety. Where can you scream? Where can you fuck some shit up? That's not going to harm anyone. Um, I remember in the rage retreat I attended with Ruth King, I was like ripping up all these contracts, right? Like all these promises I made to other fucking people and, and not showing up for myself. That was related to my history of colonization, my people had to consistently lie and shape shift and yes, yes, what do you need? Anything you need. Okay, you want me to breastfeed your children? No problem. Just don't kill my child is what I'm thinking in the back of my mind, right? Don't whip my son to death, right? Don't hang my daughter while she's pregnant and you've impregnated her, right? And so it's vital. It's vital for us to feel the feelings. Notice them when we can. And I tell my clients, sometimes it's 15 minutes a day. Sometimes it's 15 minutes once a month, depending on where we're at. Sometimes we can't do breathwork sessions. Sometimes we don't want to tap on our bodies. <laughs> and sometimes we may need to do those things to let ourselves be in that grief. Sometimes you need to take two days off or four or five or six and deal with the grief a little bit and then gently crawl out of it, you know, with some sugary, sweet, salty foods, right? We, we have to like reparent ourselves. So yeah, I know that's a lot, but I want to say above everything that we need each other, right? That this cannot, like some parts can are internal, they're personal, but this work is personal. It's interpersonal, meaning community, collective. It's also global in that the world is not doing well and we are a reflection of her. Um, and the last thing I'll say, and I want to share, it feels important. It keeps coming up. So I'm going to truly last thing I'll say, and it's a very short story. Um, and so I was on a journey, a spiritual one three months ago. It was like a shaman internal journey, like a 30 minute journey and came out of it, went to sleep and I thought I was sleeping and then I realized I wasn't. I don't know where I was. We'll just put that, we'll put it that way. And I woke up and it is so per like I, I, I don't want to cry because it was just so like woom. And I was like on this sacred land at the time. I didn't know where it was. And there was this circle of maybe 12 or 11 or 13 people I've never seen before in my entire life. However, if I saw them tomorrow, I think we would recognize each other. It's just bonkers. And I'm like, 
And all I kept doing, even while like it was almost like my body knew intuitively what to do. And we were in this very interesting configuration, but it was a circle. And all I knew is the land wanted, we had something to do. Now, mind you, this is maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, and I come to know now that that was the Gaza Strip, right? And I didn't realize it at the time. And somebody was just meditating and elevating and I could feel the vibration. Somebody else was like on these beautiful drums and this like energy was coming out. Someone else was sobbing and like ripping at her clothes. Some other individual was singing <laughs> and I was raging for mother. I was raging for that piece of land and we were all doing a healing for that land. And it wasn't about person or belief. It was about, Hey land. Like it was just land. And I was just there to like, I was like, ah, like, scream. <laughs> like screaming to the extent where like in this journey, like urinated on myself. Like it's just like all of it. And I've never been pregnant, but it felt like a water breaking, like, you know, and just, and she is like talking to me internally, the, the land and saying what she was raging at. And I would just kept raging for her since she didn't want to just like envelop people and like take everyone out or she didn't want to like sink whole. Like she didn't want to just the land. I know, and I know this sounds bonkers, <laughs> but it's not. And we know it's not, but I share this to say that, um, yeah, decolonization is about the land um, in a spiritual way, as well as a political way, and as well as a psychological way in the way that um, the defamation and the unfolding and the harm that's happening to our land, how we're intertwined and how that's affecting our mental health, our emotional health. And so anyone out there that's doing healing work, um, I thank you for all that you already do. I have no doubt that it's dope. <laughs> And where can we like shift? Where can we pivot? Like where can we begin to look at how histories of colonization and deep harm have detached us from our core mother? Where has it detached us from our people's indigenous ways of walking in the world and knowing? Where has it detached us from our sense of bodily self? That's how it affects me, like being in my body, owning all of my body. Um, and where has it affected us in the ways that we like perpetuate it unconsciously or consciously, you know, and, and I offer for us to continue to look at that and unearth that and love on that. Gosh, I'm just, I feel so humbled and also lit up by this conversation. Thank you so much. So much of what you've said and about your journey deeply, deeply resonates and I think your perspective, again, coming from so many varied historical backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and your journey brings such a complex but really potent view of decolonization. I want to get into some rapid fire before I let you go. How does that sound? Yeah, I love it. Okay. What is your spiritual background? Oh, that's so hard. Okay. <laughs> I grew up or like? What you grew up. Grew up Catholic. Catholic. Bottles of wa like water under my bed and having limpias done to me, but like the they full. identify as Catholic and not as spiritualism. But mm -hmm. I, I'm trying not to answer too much, but. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. What are you most enjoying learning right now? Mm. 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 Truly 
how to do less, truly how to do less. Mm-hmm. What is your go-to coffee shop order? Oh, definitely. And without a doubt, um, matcha green tea latte with two sh- little chai drops or whatever you want to call that and oat milk. Oh, yum. And some froth. Don't forget the froth. Eat froth. Yeah, of course. You can't have a latte without the froth. <laughs> How do you know when you know? Mm, I'm vibrate. I vibrate and I just, um, I'm in joy and in a little bit of rage all at the same time. Mm. What does grace mean to you? Mean to me. Feeling a complexity or seeing a complexity of things or feelings and still being able to land on one's feet and navigate the like very tumultuous terrain ahead. I've never heard anyone describe it that way. I love that. What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so many just popped to mind, but I think the top two that pop up is um, this fawn response, like the fawner and the like extreme people pleaser. So that's it's still there, <laughs> but, but it's not as extreme as well as um, just sort of like, this, I, don't, I don't even know how to say this, Oof. like sexy vixen, like try, even if I'm not interested in the other person, like trying to like minimize myself and shrink myself in order to fit something that seems what I think is palatable. Yeah. That makes sense. We've been talking so much about fawning and people pleasing and codependency on the podcast as of late. So that, that goes right along with what we've been talking about around here. Um, and the final question is, what do you want? Mm. So much. So much. <laughs> what don't I want? I would say that I, at this time in my life, in this place, in this space in my life, I want a really healthy healing relationship that um, isn't based on like, what can you give me? But rather where I can just like be the fullness of who I am. After a couple years, I'm finally like ready. I can see myself in all my annoyances. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm just ready to be held by that mm. partnership. That. I've been holding myself for a long time. Mm-hmm. I want that for you too. You. That sounds so yummy and good. God, this has been so much fun. I know we've been connected before, but I'm even more thrilled now getting to spend this time with you to stay connected. And I will have all of your links and all of the books you've mentioned in the show notes. Is there any anywhere you want to directly send anyone? Um, if you were interested in the rage work, um, right now, like right this second, you can go to www.honoringrage.com, but that will... I don't know if you can edit that part, but that will all be on my website within the next week. Um, It's all going to be in a one-stop shop. So www.drjennifermullen.com and you'll be able to check out um, the Rage course as well as the Politicizing Your Practice course and a membership will be opening up pretty soon. Um, Yeah, so I'm looking forward to being in more community with folks. Yay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you for being amazing, for being a light, and for having these great, important, difficult conversations. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. With the number of podcasts and content online and a very full life, I know the value of your attention, and I'm so grateful for every minute you spend listening to this show and having these conversations reverberate through your home, your car, and in your life. Thank you so much. 
If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app so others might find this podcast. You can find the show notes for every episode on my website and find more out about today's guest by going to madisonmorrigan.com backslash podcast. And if you want to find a place to get started with my coaching work, the best place to do so is to download the Call Your Energy Back practice. It is a free journal guide and short hypnotic meditation to help you get into a daily routine of connecting to yourself so that you can take up all of your rightful space, embody your wholeness, and live with the power that comes when you really belong to yourself. You can go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash energy dash back to download it right now. This meditation uses binaural beats, the brilliance of your subconscious mind, and powerful coaching questions to release the energy and emotions of other people, to generate a field of protection all around you, and will leave you feeling full of your true self, powerful, worthy, and whole. Now, if you're not already, please come and hang with me over on Instagram, DM me, and let me know your favorite part of this episode. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a life where everything belongs.